Voices serves as the megaphone for individuals who have endured transformational change. By highlighting trials and triumphs, our desire is to create a safe space for pivotal conversations, which in turn will deepen the story and provoke hope for you, our listeners. As you may know, change is never easy, but it is inevitable. You are not alone in what you're facing. Your transformation is possible, purposeful, and now. And here's Aaron Wiggum, founder and managing director of New You, with this week's guest. Welcome to another edition of New Voices. My name is Aaron Wiggum, and I am your host, also managing director of New You, which is a way for diverse talent to imagine, discover, and actualize a 2.0 version of yourself. You are in for a treat today. Um, I We have a wonderful guest who we're going to spend some time getting to know. Um, she's going to share a little bit of her acumen as well as her personal stories. And um, I'm just, I'm really excited about this conversation. This has been a couple months in the making here. And so we finally carved out some time in both of our schedules to uh, bring to you this show. Sit back, buckle your seatbelts. We're in for a ride today. Uh, I bring to you none other than this woman who is a um, an amazing thought leader. Uh, she is a trendsetter. Uh, she is someone who is a pace setter. Um, I also know her to be a skilled psalmist. I also know her to be a um, an accomplished attorney. I also know her to be uh, a wonderful friend, uh, and I, I would even go beyond friend to family. Uh, and so we're going to have a very, uh, very heartfelt conversation today with none other than Miss Tiana Mann. Tiana, welcome to New Voices. Thank you for having me, Aaron. I'm honored to be here. And um, that girl that you're talking about, I, I look forward to hearing from her too. <laughs> <laughs> you're here in the flesh. You are here in the flesh. Yeah, thank so you. So we we like like I said in the intro, you know, we we've spent some time cooking this thing, and um, I when I put this podcast together, me and my my staff, we you know. Uh, Lydia, who's our content strategist, she asked me, you know, well, who are some people you, you know, you want to interview? And you were one of the first people that popped in my mind. Uh, we were first thinking very local with Tulsans. Mm-hmm. And uh, then immediately I was like, we got to get some people nationally and we got to get Tiana on the show. Um, she's dynamic. And then even through the email exchange between you and, and uh, Lydia, she's like, she seems like somebody. I said she is somebody. She really is. Yeah. Thank so, you. Thank um, you so much. Let's go back to the beginning, though. Okay. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, give us your story. What is the Tiana Man story from your voice? Okay. Well, I mean, you know, my story starts like you in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Go Steelers mm-hmm. all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it starts in Pittsburgh. You know, I grew up there. Um, actually, a very shy child uh, mm-hmm. with two parents that were quite visible. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that was an interesting transition through childhood to be a bit uh, more reserved, but to be in a family that was visible locally Mm -hmm. um, in ministry, but also through broadcasting because of my father's profession. And so, you know, I did high school and and elementary school there and eventually ended up in Athens, Ohio at Ohio Mm -hmm. University. 
I always knew that I would leave Pittsburgh or it was my plan to leave Pittsburgh for school. I did not know that I was going to end up in the country in Ohio. And so that was an interesting and transformative experience. And I have amazing friends and great memories from that time that just were unexpected. I didn't really know what to what what, what I was going to experience from Ohio. I ultimately ended up in Maryland, where I am now. And I went to Maryland for law school. Getting into law school was somewhat of a miracle. I don't test the best all the time. Mm-hmm. But I got in and we can talk about that story later. Um, I yeah. screamed so loud that somebody called the police and they came oh. to check on my apartment. <laughs> wow. OK, it was that it was that serious. And so I was very um, I was grateful to make it into law school, but I really did not fully see what was ahead of me. And what mm-hmm. was ahead of me was a transformative experience through a lot of struggle. Life got very interesting around that time. Um, But in addition to just personal matters and personal transitions through adulthood, law school was difficult. Mm -hmm. And I was Mm. used to being an achiever. And I still, I mean, I'm still smart, but law school has a way of humbling everyone. And there's a certain way to do law school. And I learn a bit mm-hmm. differently. Um, my soul is a little bit different than law school was. So mm-hmm. I was constantly trying to translate the experience of law school into my understanding. And um, mm. it was a, it was a consuming feat. I'll say that. Mm. So okay. uh, law school, actually, I had to really work on gaining more confidence as a result of the law school experience, being African-American, being a woman. There mm-hmm. were... Um, my class actually had a lot of African-Americans in it. And my father commented on that. He said, I'm so proud. There are so many black women in your class. This Mm. is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was great. But it is that is not necessarily always the picture in the industry. It's not always the picture at the tables that your profession might be invited to. But Mm -hmm. who you are is not necessarily always invited in that same way. Right. And so... Uh, I guess there are so many ins and outs of my story to make a very mm-hmm. long story short. I took the bar five times. Wow. Took the bar five times. And that was also an interesting encounter with my confidence because I had to ask myself where my confidence was rooted and mm. what happens when the things that you want, when you don't get the things that you want, not just in the time that you wanted them, but at all. And are you still going to find a way to be satisfied with life, satisfied with yourself and at the same time hungry for a goal? And so Mm -hmm. I've had some interesting challenges, I guess, in many ways, they're first world problems. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that they can be helpful for anyone that um, has to make some sort of change because I know that anytime I'm called to speak to people or interface with people, someone in the room is in transition. And I Mm. feel like I've always been in transition. Um, Mm. I was a planner for sure. Based Mm. on my story or on my plan, my fourth child should be seven years old right now. (laughs) And I should be somewhere (laughs) in the Midwest, you know, settled with my husband. And I live on the East Coast of a very single life and I have no children. And that's not a complaint, but I'm, I, I mention it to show the dissonance between right. 
what I planned and where I am. And I have learned to right. be truly grateful for the reroute, the detour, and the plan you didn't plan. There's mm-hmm. still joy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to search for it and mine it out. Um, but I've been, I right. think that my story has been one where I've been called to the floor to question my own desires and to make sure that the things I mm. wanted 10 or 15 years ago are still the things I want. And I've learned the freedom right. to pivot. I don't think we always give ourselves yeah. permission to pivot. We commit to the mm-hmm. thing that we said we wanted to be when we were five, but we don't consider that you're different at 25 and 35 and that you have just as much permission to become what this matured person sees, um, you know, as the optimal plan. And so, like I said, there are lots of twists and turns in my personal and professional story, but I survived my own story and I'm grateful. I'm in transition now, but I'm grateful that I've become emotionally limber And I can slow the world down for just enough time to say, what is the plan here? What is it that I actually want? Is this in line with overarching goals? And is this something that we should continue to move forward in? And I have Mm -hmm. had to divorce avatars of my old self Mm -hmm. and things I thought I would be, things Mm -hmm. I knew I was going to be, not because they're bad, but because they don't fit anymore. Right. And so and I've learned to be okay with things that don't fit um, and moving forward from those. So Wonderful. You brought up some really key things there. I want to go back to something you said earlier about uh, your parents living a public life and you being a little bit more introverted mm-hmm. in, in that space. Uh, how did you navigate um, or what are some of the trials and triumphs? of having Mm -hmm. that as your reality where your parents are public facing and you have to Mm -hmm. share your parents with a community of people. Um, Right. How did you, uh, what are some of the trials and triumphs of that? Um, I think I'll, let me start with the triumphs. I'm very familiar with the trials, but I'll start with the triumphs. I think that, um, and you know, my parents for the type of, community figures that they were, I think one of the triumphs or the the valuable parts was exposure. So mm-hmm. yes, I was shy, but I also had the opportunity to interface with different cultures, different people at mm-hmm. a very young age. Yeah. And I think that was helpful because it gave me fluidity in atmospheres. Mm-hmm. You know, I can go right. from the playground to the governor's mansion And even Mm -hmm. if I don't know everything, I know how to look like I belong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I know how to to get along. And so you have the decorum to. Yeah. Right. And and so it's, you know, it's beneficial, even small things like I don't know if you remember, but there used to be a Greek festival that would come every Mm -hmm. year to Pittsburgh. And my dad would take us to that. And I think that was part of even the awareness about that was probably because of his news career. He knew about things in the city. And so that was a benefit for sure Mm -hmm. to have access through them to atmospheres that maybe a young child Mm -hmm. or uh, just somebody who doesn't know about certain things you just wouldn't have access to or knowledge of. Mm -hmm. 
And mm-hmm. because of um, my parents and the different people that they interfaced with, I was able to work with adults as a child in, in a mm. way that made sense and could work. Okay. And that I think that has just helped me as I've gotten older, I've been able to revere prior generations, but mm-hmm. be in my own generation and help yeah. younger ones at the same time. And it's something that wasn't explicitly taught, but I caught it by being in these different environments. That's good. Um, I think some of the trials, one of the trials, and I've, I've mentioned this before to others, is that my family was visible, but that didn't mean that I felt seen. And so many times people, and still to this day, they filter me through the lens of what they believe my parents are. And so they expect me to be this like distilled water version of them. And there's nothing wrong with them, but I am different. I'm I'm very different. You're an individual. I'm an individual, you know. Yeah. um, I'm, I'm the mix of them. And at the same time, I'm some elements that probably didn't show up in them in a, in a primary way. Right. So I think that part, which which can occur even if your family's not visible. But I think exactly. it was magnified because we had yeah. audiences that we didn't necessarily see. You know, mm. if we went out to, to dinner on Sunday, someone right. might greet us because my dad. And mom, we're in ministry or someone might greet us because they're like, hey, aren't you on television? I saw you on TV on Friday. And so it's interesting because you can you can be clumped in. And even though I was an introvert, I wanted to be an individual. And it's a bit Mm. difficult when everything comes through the strainer of your parents and you're viewed more as a byproduct instead of. A production of a union. And so, um, so like I said, even to this day, people will still within five seconds of hello, there's a comment about my parents. And I'm like, I am at this big age. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I don't I don't fight it anymore, but I'm very aware because it took me some years to figure out the language that I'm visible, but not seen. So, yeah. And, and so let's stay in that in that vein there. So as a PK, um, you chose to uh, you know really chart your own waters and chart your own mm-hmm. path. Um, and so how how difficult was that to like uh, allow your identity to 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 surface and then mm-hmm. say this is the direction I want to go and ministry will always be a part of my personhood but it won't Mm -hmm. be in the forefront of who I am. Right. I don't know that it was one decision because I think that, you know, our personalities, our souls, they, they are going to show up. (laughs) You can try to suppress it. Mask it if you want. Like they're going to leak out. And so um, I will always ministry and, and service will always be a part of me because I have my own relationship with God and I have a, right. a desire to serve. Um, mm-hmm. I believe I understand some of the people I'm called to help. And yeah. so if there's a mission for me and someone's supposed to receive something from me, that has nothing to do with, well, I won't say nothing, but it's not from my parents. It's, it's from the Lord. So I, so I'm, right. you know, that's, that's taken care of. I right. think that, Particularly in ministry, sometimes people assume that inheritance looks like 
business inheritance or like yes. legal inheritance. Yes. You know, your father was a pastor, so you'll be a pastor. Or right. if you can speak well, you should be a preacher. You should be, you like to argue, you should be a lawyer like your right. previous, you know, like your ancestor. And it doesn't always work that way. No. Um, I'm not against the type of ministry persona that my parents embodied, mm-hmm. but I also knew that there were ideas and inspirations and convictions in me that did not, they weren't necessarily uh, locked to a four wall place that people came on Sundays. And I think as my own relationship with God developed, I recognized how life applicable he Mm -hmm. is and how Mm -hmm. that there's value in displaying the reality of God in non-traditional spaces. Yes. And so as time evolved, like I think that God is so thorough because he had me born at the right time. There you go. Timing is everything. Right. So I was born at a time, you know, in the eighties where I always say that the time in the eighties and nineties was faster because we had the introduction to the internet. We got a lot more done from 1980 to 2000 than you know, a lot of people got completed in the in the century before, in the 10 Correct. years before. And I was strategically placed in that time to be the child of parents that were a little bit older than my peers. Mm-hmm. I'm some of the, part of the youngest of my generation, and I'm a bridge to the people who are younger than me. Mm-hmm. So um, it's an interesting space to be in. And it was always an interesting space to be in. But I think I noticed early on that... God was so much bigger than just church service or service within a church. I recognized very early that there are some people who will never visit a church, whether because of cynicism, Mm -hmm. ignorance, they don't know what church to go to. Some people don't feel welcome. Right. And other people have had negative experiences, Mm -hmm. but there's still God for them. There's a serving of God for them. And I want to be, bivocational where Mm -hmm. I can take God everywhere and still be relevant in the setting. And so I guess I say all of that to say, I believe a lot of people even now still expect me to pastor. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that I won't at some point, Yeah, but it might not look (laughs) like what people are expecting. Right. Might not be in the location that you think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and even as we learn, you know, I feel like we're learning more definitions of words. So, yeah. you know, a lawyer in the 80s meant you went to a big firm, you worked mm-hmm. all these hours and this is what your life looked like. Now in 2023, a lawyer doesn't that doesn't mean that uh, any of it yeah. you're going to have that type of life. You can look, mm-hmm. you know, things can look different. So even as I think about pastoral ministry, it doesn't always look the same Mm -hmm. as people would have understood. Um, And so I don't want to get too deep into the weeds of ministry because I don't know that that's what we're here for. But (laughs) I will say that (laughs) I will say that although there is there has always been this haze of expectations Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. other people, I really had to learn how to to ignore it because it was confusing. It was and it was funny thing is it was always adults. It wasn't yeah. necessarily always children. It was their mm-hmm. parents that were yeah. like, you know, oh, you're going to do this because your dad does this or because your mom does X, Y, and Z. And um, I had to 
wage that war within myself because when you're developing into who you are, you don't always know which voices to listen to. Right. So you're an adult. Is this an instruction? Is this something that I I have to do or I should do? Or do Mm -hmm. I need to evolve in a different way? And so I'm grateful for God as a chaperone to Mm -hmm. keep me kind of within some boundaries as I evolve through that. And I guess it probably helps that I didn't really want to be a pastor. I I don't think I came out of the womb like, please give me a pulpit and a polyester robe. I'd really appreciate it. (laughs) <laughs> that wasn't really <laughs> no, no, that wasn't in, yeah that wasn't what you were looking for right that wasn't the goal so yeah. um you know i think that probably helped to, to make me in, an individual because i want to be and, and show up as something but yeah. it might not be you know lauren man barber man 2.0 it's yeah. gonna be yana 1.6 <laughs> And, and, and you know what? I, I think that's so beautiful, Tiana, because we often see this with athletes, right? Where, you know, Michael Jordan is great, greatest basketball player, right? And then you right. have his sons who go to play basketball, you know, or, you know, you have Shaquille O'Neal, whose children go to play basketball. And there's always this, like, trying to put your footprint in their footprints, and it never measures right. up because of the giant that they were and what they did. Right. What they did was fulfilling their purpose. And that's why it was such a giant. I have to be Mm -hmm. the giant in fulfilling my purpose. And they're not always interwoven. Sometimes, you know, sometimes they needed to be that so I could be me. Right. Exactly. And I, I had all of the nutrients and ingredients to be who I am to fulfill my purpose. And so, Right. With, with that with that ministry, what I'm what I'm deducing from this is that, you know, coming up the way you did with the platform you had, it was just that it was a it was catalytic. It wasn't mm-hmm. meant to be a, a, a pathway. It was meant to be right. a launching pad into something right. else, into a different sphere. Right. And what right. you can't what you what you you know, how do you infiltrate? the boardrooms and the courtrooms if you are only behind a pulpit, right? And so being able to be that that same or live with the same integrity and values and have all that stuff in you and have it come Mm -hmm. out in a courtroom or in um, a legal dispute is still for the greater good. And it still means that the word will not return void and will accomplish what it was sent to do, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think it's interesting because I really have had to manage the voices of people because mm-hmm. a lot of people saw my dad as just a pastor, but they yeah. didn't know that he could go into a boardroom and he could right. go into all these different places. Right. Um, I think even in his, in his death, people didn't really know there was more to yeah. him than they had experienced. Oh, they and found so out a lot of had, stuff. Yeah. A lot of things. There were so many things he had been exposed to um, Mm -hmm. in places that he shared with other people, experiences that he shared with others. And so I've learned to be the trick bag. I've learned to be the hidden assault where you don't know where I'm coming from because the the effort I put into explaining myself to you, I could just be 
a display of God's greatness and be active. And because of my nature, I'm usually advocating for someone. It it doesn't have to be in court. I usually have a cause on behalf of someone else. Just watch Mm -hmm. me work. (laughs) Like just watch me work. We can clear all this up. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I think it's, it's been one of the things I've had to do. And I still do as an adult is managing voices because People will amplify their opinions and attempt to make it louder than who you are because that's what they're comfortable with or that's how they want to see you or they expect your family line to produce in that way. And so I've had a great conviction, I say in the last five to seven years Mm -hmm. um, where I've had to stop and say, where am I taking my cues from? Is Mm. this... Is this God? Is this the plan for my life? Or is yeah. this a societal expectation that has no context of what my purpose is? Is yeah. this some legacy argument or voice where there's an expectation, whether from family or the public in some way? And mm-hmm. it's been helping me to slow life down, to kind of put all of the voices in a vestibule, if you will, in a hallway. Yes. In a yes. narthex, as my dad. In a narthex. And just let everybody wait. Like you kind of have to have an emotional mudroom where yeah. the stuff of life can come and sit. And, sit. and when yep. I'm ready, I'll deal with it or dismiss what's mm-hmm. necessary. And yeah. so I had to learn and evolve and get to that place where I felt I had enough permission in my own life. Mm-hmm. to not allow access, even vocal access of people wow. into my cool space. So that's, that's great. That is really, really powerful. And I've seen so many people crumble under that pressure to see mm-hmm. you persevere through it is just, you know, a testament of your strength and, 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 uh, and, you know, your will to win. Um, let's talk about, you said that uh, you had, Taken the bar exam five times. Mm-hmm. Five times. So let's yes. let's stay in this let's stay in this vein <laughs> of perseverance here. Okay. Um, okay. Now the bar exam is how long does it take to take? How how, how long is the uh, what's the expect expected amount of time? So the bar exam is at least two days. Um, it is a twelve hour exam total. Okay. There are some situations where it can be a three-day exam, but it depends uh-huh. on which states you are applying for. And typically, right. it's going to be a three-day exam when you're trying to take a test to get you into more than one jurisdiction, more than one gotcha. state. And let right. me say this. This is the information that was true at the time when I took the bar exam. Some right. things have changed since then, but this mm-hmm. is the context of my struggle because that's what it was. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So, <laughs> yeah. so. So now you have this two to three day test, 12 hours. Mm-hmm. All right. At that time. And in the state of Maryland mm-hmm. and you, you endure this five times. Yes, it was five times and it wasn't back to back. So typically you come out of law school, you graduate, toss your, you know, your, your, your hat your up cap. and you go to bar review. And mm-hmm. then you take the exam in July. The The exam is only administered in February and July. So that's a limitation mm-hmm. in and of itself. In you itself, know, the TRE, right. the GMAT, all yeah. types of these other tests, you can kind of just schedule them and show right. up. Um, but the way that the bar exam is set up is that one part of it, the first day is all writing. 
at that time, when I first took it, I wrote it by hand. So you have three hours of writing, a lunch hour, and then three more hours of writing. And then your second day is one or 200 multiple choice questions, 100 in the morning and 100 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, it was a daunting experience. Now, through bar exam, I met some amazing friends that are still friends to this day. I just went to one girl's 40th birthday party last week. It was great. It was a time. Okay. okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they've been, I mean, they are my sisters. They're my friends and it's wonderful. Yeah. But to make, again, because this part of the story has a lot of ins and outs, it was very difficult to not pass the first time, but you kind of expect it because that can happen with the bar exam. Right, right. It hurt my feelings for sure to not pass the second, second time. time. Yeah. Every yeah. other time was like almost insulting, but not in an arrogant way. It was, yeah. I turned inward. I was like, what's wrong with you? Um, yeah. I had to learn about what the what the bar exam attempts to accomplish and how right. it does it. Everything, right. even in college, everything is strategy and numbers. Yep. That's not how I lived in the world necessarily as a mm-hmm. kid and as a young adult. So I had one time, which was really interesting, where uh, I had gotten my scores back. I didn't pass. And you look at your raw score and your weighted score. So we're already doing math that I'm just like, this is a lot. And Mm -hmm. I had a teacher, a professor who was also the owner of a bar review class. He looked Mm -hmm. at my scores and he said, what's going on here? He said, it's clear to me from your numbers that you know the information. This is not an issue of you not knowing the information. Mm -hmm. He said, if you had taken this bar exam, the administration before, you would have passed with the same numbers. But because the because the numbers were different, the number of applicants and things like that were different when you took it, you didn't pass. And mm. so I was like, man, the numbers are against me. <laughs> right, right. So I'm tired. You're yeah. hungry. Yeah. Um, it's just a lot. And so I was um, really frustrated. And mm-hmm. I was doing this studying for the bar exam while working. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't able to work in jobs that would actually meet my financial needs because right. I didn't have a license yet right. and I hadn't passed yet. Mm-hmm. And so it was beyond frustrating. Mm. Um, when I say my needs, I mean that there were people who passed the first time that were making 10 or 15, maybe $20 more per hour than I was. And we were working on the same project. Mm-hmm. And our loan, we all had school loans. Right, yeah, yeah. (laughs) School loans are the same regardless of whether you pass. Right. And it was really discouraging. And it was even, it got to the point with me where when people would say, I'm proud of you, that was pressure. Mm. Because it felt like the village, you know, they wanted their investment. Right, yeah, yeah. Where's our ROI, yeah. And I'm like, listen, I don't know what to tell y'all. I'm over here eating rice, like trying to make it work. Right. And it wasn't that I wasn't smart. It Mm -hmm. wasn't that I didn't have what was necessary. But to have a difficult time in law school, because Mm -hmm. law school is not intuitive. You have to learn law school and then practice law school. Right. And then you graduate. Right. Um, And and law school changes the way you think. I, I liken it to brain surgery that you are awake for. 
mm-hmm. because you in your first year they change how you interpret the world. That's right. why lawyers are different. Right. We look at the world differently mm-hmm. and we help manage or prevent risk essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and so it was hard. I worked I didn't know if I should work in the legal industry or get paid more money in another industry. Mm-hmm. And because I was a new person to the legal industry, I didn't know that if, you know, whether if I took my foot out the pool, could I get back in? Right. Not a lot of people looked like me. Mm-hmm. My closer friends were navigating being new attorneys. And one of the things that was difficult was um, cheering on my friends who it, in the moment, it felt like they were living the dreams that I wanted and I I couldn't get it for myself. I was never jealous. Yeah. Never jealous. Loved them to death and wanted, I wouldn't wish the bar on anybody's (laughs) worst enemy, like do something else. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but it's difficult when you feel like I thought I was capable Mm -hmm. and we're celebrating everybody, but I just can't get my hands on it. You know, Mm -hmm. to go back to work, you've taken a week or so off of work and people don't want to ask. They don't want to, you know, they, they're not sure how to approach you, but you have to tell, like I had to tell my superiors, I didn't pass the bar. Mm -hmm. Now let's go on. Now, granted, I'm not passing the bar, but I'm getting onto a plane to go and help as a paralegal in a trial in Louisiana Mm -hmm. or in Tennessee. Right. And so I had a lot of irony yeah. to manage yeah. at that time. And um, I had to learn, and I'm still practicing and learning this, not to attribute failure to my person. Right. Yeah. And people people would try to convince me. And they were like, oh, you didn't fail. No, I did. There was an F next to my name. <laughs> you failed the exam. Yeah. And it's okay. We can say. <laughs> yeah. I failed the exam. Right. So it was very difficult to manage my reality with very well-intentioned encouragement that I didn't want. Right. I wanted someone to hear that this is hard yeah. and that I'm trying in every way possible and that I'm working full time and studying as much as I can and commuting mm-hmm. from Baltimore to DC. And I was in this like romantic situationship that was, I don't know what was going on. I had to recover from that. Like there was just so much going on at one time. Yeah. I just wanted to sleep and not have to worry about if my next move was going to be my last move in a certain atmosphere. Mm. So there was a lot of pressure and this happened over about nine years. Mm -hmm. It wasn't immediate, Immediate. you know, like successive. Mm -hmm. There were times where I couldn't afford to take the test again. Right. Yeah. There were times where I couldn't afford bar review again, mm-hmm. or maybe I had a job where they weren't going to give me two weeks off close to the exam mm-hmm. so that I could study. And it was a trying time to not wonder if I had miscalculated in my vision. Mm. You know, do I, I might want this, but why do I want it? Do I still want it? Yeah. And that last time I I was talking to the Lord in open air all the time because I was like, I'm, I'm going crazy. People might as well think that I'm crazy. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, you know, I think I think this is enough for me. And I realized that what you have for me to do doesn't necessarily require this license. It will it could help. Mm-hmm. But what you have me on the earth to do can get accomplished 
with, with or without it. it. Yep. Yeah. And I don't know that that was, you know, the thing mm -hmm. that changed it. Because mm -hmm. um, the way I feel, I'm like, Jesus, you must have gone in there with a pencil yourself and wrote the answers <laughs> because I've taken this exam yeah. 79 times. Right. But my connection and expectation of the result was different. Right. The result did not have to produce my life. Right. It was going to be an experience whether I passed or whether, you know, they had an F next to my name again. Yeah. yeah. And so, of course, I'm grateful that I passed and I value the access that a license does give me. Mm -hmm. But I'm also keenly aware that if I didn't have Esquire or JD behind mm -hmm. my name, mm -hmm. like you said before, the word that's put out yeah. won't return void. Right. It's going to produce. Yeah. And so I had to, I had to show up to the plate five times shaking in my boots. Yeah. Um, I mean, the week before, in the in the last instance, the week before the exam, I was failing my practice exam, mm. getting fifty percent of the questions wrong, and what that does to your confidence right. is enough, right? You know, um, but when I tell you, and I almost calls you your your kid, nigga, yeah, it's okay. But. I'm, I'm telling you, I really do believe that that this was a divine situation because strangers were encouragement to me. Mm. I was studying at a kind of like a, in a cafe area mm -hmm. and this woman, she just saw me with all these books in front of me and she was like, she lit up. She just said, oh my gosh, she said, you're going to pass. What are you studying for? And I said, I'm studying for the bar exam. She said, you're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. This woman didn't know me at all. Mm. And when I tell you, I felt like God himself put the whole earth on hold and was like, let me go hug Tiana. Mm -hmm. It felt like that. Because again, I was failing yeah. practice exams. Yeah. And a stranger mm -hmm. who didn't even know what I was studying for mm -hmm. said, don't worry, you're going to pass. Mm. And it was a boost to go and take another exam yeah. and fail it again and keep on taking yeah. it. I considered not showing up. Yeah. I considered not going to the exam mm. because of how I felt. And I decided, I said, you know what? I've prayed. I've said all these scriptures. Mm -hmm. I'm doing all these things. It's hot outside. I'm not having fun with my friends. I was like, the least I could do mm -hmm. is show up. Yeah. And if it goes down, it goes down. But I'm going to at least show up. That was my determination. I'm going. Mm. And that was all I had. Mm -hmm. And I showed up and they put the test in front of me. And look, I, I pushed some buttons and I did the test. Mm -hmm. And so I know some people don't like to approach things with a bare minimum attitude. Mm -hmm. But it was all I had. Right. My bare minimum was my full budget. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and... I dealt with the exam when the exam got in front of me. Yeah. And thankfully that was the last time I had to deal with that exam. Yeah. For Maryland. So Well, it, it, I'm grateful. And what I and thank you for sharing that. What I what I'm hearing out of that is that it 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 redirected your trust because you know, you were looking at this saying that this test is going to give me license to become who I who I need to be. 
And it's like, no, you're going right. to be who you're called to be without, with or without this test. And so once you relieved exactly. yourself of the anxiety of mm-hmm. tr- trusting the test to give you license and, and you know, exactly. just say, you know what? I already am that. Oh, okay. Now I can go and take that exactly. minus the anxiety of what this test can yield me, you know? And right. even sending this, 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 this woman, um, uh, out of random, sometimes you need those random witnesses to right. say like, oh, for sure. you need those, man. It, it means mm-hmm. something when you, when you, somebody comes and says, you're like, wait a minute, you don't know me from anybody, but you took the time. Like that is, that shows, um, a level of, it, it, let me, let me say this first. You know, I always try to be aware of doing, following through on doing those things when now you have the urge to do them. You know, yeah. I may, may be in the grocery store and I'll get an urge to pay for somebody's groceries or something. And I'll try to follow through on doing that um, because you never know who needs that sign that like, it's going to yes. be okay. You know, and look yes. at, look at what this, I don't know if you kept in touch with that woman, but look what it produced. It's not that she took the test for you, right. but it it, get, it just released a little bit of anxiety from you, you know? And for sure. Yeah. For sure. So, for sure. And it was, it was such a blessing because she wasn't connected to anything. Right. I don't, I didn't stay, I didn't even have the mental wherewithal in the moment to get her phone number and yeah. be like, let me let you know. Cause I, in my heart, I probably would have given her handwritten notes to say yeah. thank you. Yeah. And this is what's going on. Yeah. Um, maybe one day I'll see her again. Yeah. But it's so true. You do need those those witnesses, random witnesses right. to um to get you through. And I, I love that you brought up when you feel the urge to do something, just go through with right. it because yeah. you don't know you never the know. weight that it holds. It could be something small to you. Right. For me, yeah. I think it helped me show up. Absolutely. It was an inspiration to show up I was like they can have my money I'm done with this test <laughs> <laughs> so I'm so grateful and and let me I do want to say this yeah because I don't want to uh misconstrue my story mm-hmm. I was not without support right I had a village of people that were praying for me that were trying to encourage me yeah to the point that they could because Everybody didn't really understand the torture that the exam is. Yeah. Um, I had friends that blessed me in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And I'm forever grateful for that. Right. The there what is also true with that mm-hmm. is that I was the one that had to go and take that exam. Right. Yeah. And so there was a point where it's just like, all right, suit up and you're going into the ring on your own. Yeah. Um, but I passed it. And it was it was interesting because when I passed it was the first year in a long time that they changed the location. So mm. the atmosphere even was different. I hadn't been to this battlefield before. Mm. It was much more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did it by myself. I didn't know anybody in that room. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish, of course, that I had passed with my friends. That would be a great memory to have. Right. But it was me and the Lord. And yeah. I can't attribute it to anyone else it would be spiritual plagiarism for me to attribute that victory to anybody but him yeah 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 (laughs) um and so i'm grateful to learn him at that intensity Mm -hmm. that was a master class in letting go yeah and it did not feel good (laughs) i hear you i might still be recovering listen listen (laughs) (laughs) 
But um, I'm so grateful. Yeah. I hated the experience, but I'm so grateful that I had it um, because it did form who I am today and how I approach mm-hmm. things today. Yeah. That's wonderful. Okay, just two more questions for you. Um, okay. So on new new voices, we really like to have individuals share a transformational or pivotal experience with uh, with the uh, our listeners. Of course, you just did that through this perseverance. That was more you know perseverance. Um, but I want to ask you this: When can you give me a time that you went through a a, a dark period where you just didn't know what was up and what was down. Like you, you, you were really out of place. How did you, how did you, or how do you hold on to hope in that moment? Yeah. Um, I've had several periods of dark times. Mm-hmm. And I think what's interesting about darkness is that for me in my life, it's never announced itself. Right. I've had a moment where I realized like, Oh, I'm, I'm under something. Yeah. Yeah. We got something going on here. Yeah. Um, it has been difficult to hold on to hope, but one thing that has been helpful is blunt honesty with myself Mm. about what I feel. Mm -hmm. And I had a situation where I remember I said out loud, my hope has been injured. Mm. And although it was sad, it helped. It was like a diagnosis. Yes. You know, it's frustrating to go to the doctor for symptoms. Right. And, you know, you're coughing. So it could be anything from COVID to allergies, but you don't know. Yeah. And I think a lot of times in trying to preserve hope, Mm -hmm. we try to be so positive that we're never honest about how destitute we feel in our souls. Mm. Like this hurts and it sucks and I feel targeted and I don't like it. And why is someone else who has a different heart ahead of me? And, you know, I stopped editing myself. Mm. And I think that honesty helped me to see where I actually was. Like, Tiana, you're on the edge Mm. or you're over the edge. And when you when you can orient where you are, you can get the help that you need. Yes. Um, Or you can decide not to get help. Mm -hmm. So I think that there have been multiple times where I've had to preserve hope. I'm in a transition right now. Mm-hmm. Like I, I decided um, to take all of my information down as far as my law firm was concerned because I could feel my vision was changing mm-hmm. and having a website up that wasn't really in line with who I am was pressure for me. Okay. And um, I do, I work another job, like I work a daytime job and I'm also building this vision for this firm and I felt like uh, almost like a failure mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, I'm in the middle of trying to figure out where I'm going to land. I should be more sure. Mm-hmm. I'm a professional. Yeah. I've come through all these different things. And I had to remember not just why I started, but how deep this thing was on the inside mm. of me. That the reason why I'm doing what I want to have me larger than me and recalling that I'm not trying to do a job I'm trying to a mission has helped get me back to hope it's redirected me to the path of hope um and it's reminded me that even though there's something I can't see 
I've been in by the process of building something mm -hmm. visible out of this inspiration that's been given to me. Yeah. Now, it might sound cute the way that I've said it, but this has been a journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's been it's taken it's taken time. These are aren't reflect, like you know, our emotional selves want to be comforted mm -hmm. when when you're hurting and when your hope is frustrated and when it feels like you have this that you do, but everything versus the people, resources are all against. But I think we have to acknowledge that place first before we try to get pulled out of it. Mm -hmm. um, because we can take despair along with us to the next place. Right. And we don't want that type of baggage. So I'd like for us to slow life down. Yeah. To be very honest with myself. Say, okay, my hope is injured. I'm sad and Z. And then I seek out help, whether it is community, um, seeking out company and friends. Mm -hmm. It could be therapy. I'm mm -hmm. a huge fan of therapy. Mm -hmm. um, my faith comes along with me in all of those buckets. Right. But faith couples well with community. Right. And faith can couple well with therapy as well. Right. And I think what has helped me... Um, maintain hope is even going back to my writings of these ideas and the mission, like returning to the vision. Mm -hmm. And if I'm a person, I'm a paper girl, like I sit and write. Mm -hmm. It is a therapeutic exercise for me. But I've literally I have a stack in my in my apartment where it's all of my journals mm -hmm. that I've had over let's say the last nine or ten years. Mm -hmm. And I had this vision of me going through the books backwards to review I had written. And when I've had moments of feeling like the stuff that God has given me is not going to happen, mm -hmm. I see that in 2015, 17, and 19, I see something that's almost verbatim. Yeah. I see the vision the same way, or I see the vision of state. And, and to review the vision, because the vision was given, your vision is not an emotion. Mm -hmm. Your vision is not something that's changed by circumstance. It is what it is. Right. And so I've had to review the vision mm -hmm. to, to maintain hope. Wow. That's powerful. Really powerful. Uh, last question. Uh, how, how can, it, well, first of all, let me ask you this. What are some action items, what are some next steps you would tell someone? Um, what is a call to action for our listeners? I think that a call to action for listeners is to, first of all, identify where you are. Mm -hmm. Be blunt and honest with yourself mm -hmm. about where you are. Yeah. And I find that a lot of us are stuck. Mm -hmm. And um, be when I say be blunt and honest, I mean, don't let your uh, desire to be positive edit where you actually are. Right. It's actually very good help to know exactly where you are. Yeah. And don't be afraid of your emotions um, and what you feel, mm -hmm. whether that's rage, frustration, whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. I think the first call to action, again, is to kind of get a lay of the land of yourself, mm -hmm. discern yourself, yeah. figure out where you are considering your journey. Mm -hmm. 
and considering where you're trying to go. And I think the next step is to find a way to take inventory of what you actually do have as a resource. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, I'll give you an example with um, entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times we talk with entrepreneurs and one of the frustrations is the lack of funding mm -hmm. or the lack of access to something. Mm -hmm. But sometimes if you just take 20 minutes to list out friends that you have, yeah. Uh, services that you use in your personal life mm -hmm. that could actually be used for business. You find that while you might not have everything, mm -hmm. you have something enough to keep moving. Right. And then I think you need to take another pause and make a decision. Mm. That's one thing in my adult life mm -hmm. that I'm seeing is how powerful our decisions yes. are. Where do we decide to place our effort and emotion? Mm -hmm. um, you can be in despair mm -hmm. And decide to be hopeful. That's it. Yeah. And if I decided to be hopeful, that's my commitment. Right. That means that when despair comes up, I still create or find or have written on a card a counter argument mm -hmm. for the voice of despair. Right. And so I think that if you are trying to translate a vision mm -hmm. and a conviction into a lived experience. That's what I think creativity and giftedness mm -hmm. is. Taking something invisible and making it something that people can live through. Right. Um, you have to be okay with grounding yourself and asking yourself, where am I? Yeah. Being unafraid to say where you actually are mm -hmm. and then making a decision of what you're going to do in the face of that. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it might that might not be hard enough. Yeah to consider as an action step. Mm -hmm. But one thing I do know is how you feel will bleed out into everything. everything. You do. Yes. Yes. And so if you feel poorly about yourself mm -hmm. and you see yourself as a failure, yeah. you will eventually treat your business mm -hmm. and your actions with a failure mentality. Failure is going to scent what you do. Mm -hmm. And so it may not feel like it's good work to do, mm -hmm. but it's a long game. Yeah. And you're playing against yourself. Right. So I've found, and I'm a person that wants concrete stuff too, right. but concrete still needs the right elements to harden. Mm -hmm. And one of those water. elements is how, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you need to know where you are so that you know how to carry what you have. Right. Um, and I hope that visionaries will take a moment mm -hmm. to look at where they are, to be honest about it, and to make the decision in the direction of keeping their vision alive mm -hmm. and figuring out what that looks like for them. If that means getting accountability from a friend, mm -hmm. if it means getting a business coach, mm -hmm. sometimes it means joining an association or finding free resources for where you are, but there's help for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that we all have to accept the help. Yeah. Don't be prideful, take all of the help that you can get. Yeah. Um, and hopefully that can be helpful for someone. That's good. Thank you so much for this time. This has been absolutely amazing. How do people stay in contact with you? Do you do LinkedIn? Or are you? What are some things that they, they can reach you on? So on LinkedIn and Facebook, I'm Tiana L. Mann. I'm not on those outlets as much, but I will be in the coming months. Um, on Instagram and threads, my my handle is I am Tiana Mann, and you can find me there, and I'll be doing some updating there as well. 
for some of the activities and reintroductions that I'll be doing in the rest of the year. So I would love to have people reach out if you want to say hi, yeah. say, you know, mention Aaron and I would love to connect. That is wonderful. Thank you so much for this time. Thank um, you for this me. has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, thank you to all our listeners. Uh, please take some time to like, share, subscribe. We're on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So also, I want you to take a look at our website, newutulsa.com, where you can find our cohorts that are back in session now for the fall. All right. Uh, hope all is well. Continue on. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Voices. Visit our website at www.newutulsa.com. That is N-E-W-U-Tulsa.com. Follow us on social media at New U Tulsa on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And a special thank you to our producer, Jesse Ulrich. If you're looking for self-improvement, join our free cohorts for personal and professional development opportunities. New U is a way for diverse talent to imagine, discover, and actualize a 2.0 version of yourself. Bring your future into focus.